Ellen Watt is with us tonight, folks. And Ellen, thanks again for being here tonight. Greetings from the frozen north. <laughs> Greetings from the Okay. <laughs> We're not talking to Santa Claus, right? <laughs> no, it's just the guy who chases the minks out his door. <laughs> so, how are you, Alan? Uh, not so bad for me. Not so bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking, I guess it was uh, this past week, one evening, and we got to talking about this country, the U.S. of A., mm-hmm. and how we were all here. We were all born into this, of course, so we believed it. And no matter what goes on around us, there, we uh, no, not we, I shouldn't say that, mm-hmm. because... There are those of us who are waking up to it, but for so long, and you'll still hear people say, well, it might not be the greatest, but it's still the greatest country in the world. It's, you know, we have liberty, we have a constitution, and if you don't like it, if you say anything, then a lot of people will say, well, if you don't like it, why don't you just leave? Mm -hmm. And what we were talking about, Alan, is right from the get-go, the people who came over here. Mm Mm-hmm. And and I would like for uh, you to expand upon that tonight. The indentured servants that came over here, Alan. Yeah, yeah. But it goes, I mean, don't just say, ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say first off, off the bat, it's nothing to do with false teeth. It, it's a law, you see, that the indentured servants... Um, it has nothing to do with what? It's nothing to do with false teeth. False. Oh. You see, it's uh, it's all to do with oh, these yeah. laws that they passed back in Britain uh, when they had the Americas and they wanted to populate it with uh, British subjects. And it's not a state of affair when you can be a serf, or a, which is a slave, really. You're bought and sold with the land. Um, or you can be uh, charged with a crime... Uh, and, uh, and that's how basically they got this thing off the goal. The, at one time, England only had judges uh, authorized by the High Court uh, to try cases, but they needed a lot more uh, men to do these cases for all the new laws they were going to bring in because they had to pass laws to make sure that there were enough people or criminals that they could send abroad to, to populate the Americas. And so everything became a crime. Uh, they dumped all the peasants off of the land, their common land that was called, where they could grow their, grow their own vegetables in between working for their masters. And uh, they threw them off their land into the big uh, cities to start up the industrial era, uh, which was planned hundreds of years prior to that. John Dee writes about it in the 1500s. In the 1500s? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did, oh, and did he... Call it the industrial era. He, he talked about an era where where technology and machines, he said, would would uh, rise uh, and and bring Britain up to an empire. He he coined the term the British Empire, Did he? which was to be a world empire. Yeah. Who was and, John Dee? Uh, well, he was a, a, an advisor to the court of Queen Elizabeth the First. Okay. And he was also a foreign ambassador uh, to different countries. And he was also a spy for Queen Elizabeth I. And his, his number was 007. Oh, come on. Yeah, seriously, yeah. Yeah, that's how he signed his letters to the Queen, yeah. 007. Uh-huh, yeah. Oh, man. So, so you know, everything's in her face. It's just a big joke to the, to, to the public, and, uh, or at least they're laughing at us, because we, we have no idea of history. And if we have no idea of history... You'll never know how you got to where you are. Oh, uh, exactly. Uh, what is a, um, I don't mean to, when I'm not going to, mm-hmm. what is a mall? Uh, over there in Britain, what, what exactly was a mall? It wasn't a shopping place. No. What was it, Alan? Uh, well, uh, a mall was a type of weapon. No, because I, I, I was reading a book about India, uh-huh. and that was uh, India under the uh, authority of the... Uh, British East India Company, the government and the company. Uh-huh. Some areas it was the British government, and some area it was areas it was the co- company, I guess. Uh-huh. I mean, they were all one and the same anyway. Yeah. But they were talking 
about a wedding that was taking place, an Indian. Uh-huh. And they were on the mall, it said. And okay, I, a, mall, a mall in that case is, is, a, is the fair way coming into a palace. It's like a long street or driveway. Uh, you, get the, you get the same in London with Pall Mall, they call it. Yeah, Pall Mall. We had Pall Mall cigarettes here. That's right. And I thought about that when I read that. Okay, now they call over here. We have shopping malls. That's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A strip. That strip is really the. It should be a strip of land, but it used to be a street, really, uh, leading to um, a palace or, or whatever. You know. Yeah. So in the 1500s, John D. talked about the industrial era. Yeah, they, that's when they, they burst out with Rosicrucianism, uh, the, the sort of precursor, and it's still the high Freemasonry, in a sense. And um, they talked about a, he, he coined the term and, and gave it to the Queen uh, to call it the, he called it the Brightish, B-R-Y-T-I-S-H, Brightish Empire. And he said this will stretch across the world. And, of course, it was to be exactly what it is. It was to be a world run by a, an elite um, a dominant minority with the money and the power and the hereditary lineages uh, and then a scientific elite underneath them which would uh, basically be the, the, the masters of, of all the peasantry underneath them so that's pretty well what we have with the United Nations and uh, the Rockefeller all the different foundations that we know so, he, yeah, he wrote a lot about the, the coming Brightish Empire. Was he a Rosicrucianist? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what is the difference between Rosicrucian... Rosicrucian... Is, is it Rosicrucianism? And Zoroasterism? Uh, Zoroasterism... Well, Zoroaster was really the precursor of all the religions that we know of. Um, uh, coming out with, with the the idea of the war there's always a war on the planet between two entities if you like or two sides of good and evil and uh, that's different again it's a religion and in that sense Rosicrucianism uh, incorporated uh, reason you hear that coming up across through in history this, this thing about reason but it also incorporated the religion that went with it which was uh, Freemasonry, which is more akin to Hinduism than anything. It's, it's a caste system. Freemasonry or Rosicrucianism? Uh, Rosicrucian is, is Freemasonry. Okay, and Freemasonry is a caste system. Yes, yeah. All, see, Masonry has a, a thousand names. A thousand names, but they're all the same. There's only one head to the pyramid, one capstone. When you say that, are you talking about all the different secret societies? All of them, yeah. The blood and uh, the skull and bones and... Yeah, they're only a higher order of the same society, yeah. They're a higher order? Uh, yeah, you, you, you find if you go... Those in the Ivy League schools, such as uh, Yale and Princeton, and of course in, in England you've got Cambridge and Oxford, these are the traditional old families that go there, and um, they're, they're really a noble order, so they're a higher order, yeah. What was the one that Clinton was in? It wasn't Skull and Bones, but there was another one. Kind uh, of the counterpart to Skull and Bones? Well, he did go to the... To the, to the uh, he was sent off to Oxford in England uh, as a Rhodes Scholar. I and, know that. And there he became uh, initiated into the Oxford Circle, they call it. There's a name for it, though, except I can't remember it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it had... some. I, seemed to me it had something to do with dog, but maybe it doesn't. Uh-huh. Maybe I'm thinking of dog and pony show. Uh, Zoroasterism, Zoroasterism, mm-hmm. was that Zoroastra, the one that started that? That's what it's claimed, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Zoroasterism is not the same as Rosicrucianism? No, um, at least the old Zoroastrianism wasn't, no. The original Zoroastrian religion was was really an attempt to explain the uh, the, the um, incredible differences of happiness and sadness, wealth and poverty, uh, cruelty and love uh, that exists within all humanity. You know, the opposites. Okay. And so they came up with this idea 
of a conflicting war uh, to explain why some people are pretty good people and other ones are just thoroughly evil. <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, that really was copied uh, down through the ages by uh, uh, religions that came afterwards. Yeah. That, uh, but perverted too, of course. Okay. Mm-hmm. So getting back to these United States. Yeah. Of America, well, it, yeah. you made a statement, and I know that was a very broad statement. Mm-hmm. You said everything was against the law, so uh, obviously they made a lot of picayune laws. What they did was, they, they, for the first time, they made justices of the peace because they didn't have enough judges, so they, they gave lesser members of the, of, of wealthy families um, uh, these jobs as, as justices of the peace. Is that the same as a magistrate? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and so they didn't have to even to have any law training at all. And in Britain, you didn't get a, a trial by jury. Uh, you just went in front of the magistrate or the, the justice of the peace, and uh, he'd give a wink to the to the charging officer, and uh, you know found you guilty of whatever it was, and and then you were indentured, which meant you were in servitude for X amount of years. So you were sold off to the Americas. And whoever bought you from the ship that you arrived on paid a fee to the captain who took his cut. And then when he went back to England, the captain gave it to the magistrate. What was left? They all, they all took their cuts right along the line. Uh-huh. It was a slave trade, of course. And uh, they were white people that were uh, initially sent over. Uh, that's where the term redneck came from. Because oh, okay. they used them in the, Car- the, the Caribbean countries. And they used to call them red shanks initially because they had the short breeches without socks you know and uh, they'd work in the plantations and because the sun was, that was uh, on their back and they'd get the, the red shanks the red legs and then they changed it to red neck okay and that's where that term came from now there were people weren't there people who came over here of their own volition Alan oh there are people who, who did but that, that, that was really later you know okay we're talking very early huh Early, right through into the 1700s, I mean, Benjamin Franklin bought his first wife off the ship. She was an indentured servant. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah, many of the, the, these guys <coughs> bought their wives off the ships. Well, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I'm not on the radio equipment, so I can't turn a mic down. Um, also, I you know, that book that I read... The uh, interpretation of the Constitution, economic interpretation. Yeah. Uh, the people that came over here, many people. This would have been later when they wanted to, uh, you know, really begin to settle the the, the open areas, mm-hmm. and they were promised land. Remember, Alan? Yeah. Well, the guys that were already here, and many of the guys that were in the uh, the Constitutional Convention mm-hmm. uh, were landowners. Yeah. And they brought up huge, huge, huge of the greatest, best land. Uh-huh. So when these people came over here and they were promised land, the land that they were given was crappy land. Yeah. And if they wanted land where they were actually going to be able to farm and, and uh, really homestead, Mm-hmm. They had to pay a high price for the land. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when they okay, now they're going to go out west. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're going to go out there and get some good land. Well, the land barons just beat them to it. And they got oh, out no. there and did the same doggone thing out west, Alan. You sure. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, it's, it's what, we, what we're doing, see, this, we're being farmed, you see. We truly are being farmed. Uh, you know, uh, like Charles Fort said. Were being farmed. What do you mean they, being farmed? They farm us up for their wars. They, they um, uh, such as in Britain, when the Rothschilds took over, they started a standing army. Before that, they used mercenary troops. Okay. Which uh, and so then they brought the redcoats in with the the, the standing army, with the Bank of England uh, funding it and, and with the right to tax the people, to to keep the standing army. And then from from then on, it's one war after another. And so they were culling off the population what they thought were the excess. As at the same time, those soldiers were winning more land for Britain, for London, really, as they were culling off the soldiers. 
and um, of course the Rothschild companies were supplying all the armaments and, and clothing etc so it's a business war is a business for them they farm us up to a, a particular level when they need us and, and they also cull us down with disease and so on when they don't need us or else they export us abroad you see and that's the standard technique that's, it's even in the economic books that's the standard technique that's always been used human capital yeah, oh yeah uh -huh. cattle yeah and, and when Rothschilds uh, passed the law he put the bill forward in parliament in England uh, it was called the corn laws and what they did that allowed the European farmers to dump their grain in Britain and that put all the smallholders out of Britain and they had to go into the cities, the industrial, the new industrial cities, and work 16, 17 hours a day till they died. You know, they dropped. Wait dead. a minute. Wait, wait, you, say that again. They allowed them to dump their corn. Yeah. You see, but, well, who are we talking about? Them. Well, I said the uh, Rothschild. No, no, but I mean, who oh, the, was the dumping the European, their corn? The European farmers. Mm. Yeah. Were they being paid for it? Oh yeah, but they were allowed to dump them at cheap prices. And without tariffs, that was free trade, you might say. Without tariffs and into British, uh, into Britain, and uh, at such cheap prices, it was. I mean, it was all orchestrated by the Rothschilds. Right. And, uh, and sure enough, all the farmers were suddenly put out of business, and all the farmhands, and they had to move into the new industrial areas like Manchester, Birmingham, and so on, uh, where they were, you know, paid pennies per week and worked 16, 17 hours a day. The rest were put into the army. There was, there was no other choice. And that was, uh, I think, even Benjamin Franklin, who was an, who was an Illuminatus. I mean, he, he, there's no problem about it. He definitely was. Yes, he was. But because they're Illuminati, they can tell you the truth. They can tell you both sides of the story, you know. And Franklin did say uh, that industrialization was the worst form uh, of a system he'd ever seen. He said because he'd witnessed the peasants in Britain working 16 hours a day in the factories, walking out of the factories um, absolutely tired and staggering, uh, without shoes on their feet, and yet he was, he was talking about a shoe factory. They couldn't even afford the shoes they made. That's how poor Great Britain was for the people. For the people. And that's how poor the, the people were who came over here. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Because they and, of course, when they started up the, the, the indentured servitude... Yeah, and... and, uh, and so many laws that, that And even, even like, the Irish uh, oh, yeah. came over during the famine. They <coughs> right off the boat and yeah. throw them into the big uh, factories, the sweatshops. Sure. And, and uh, with Ireland, too, that was contrived. Yeah. yeah the, because, uh, because the oddest uh, thing is, and it's the oddest story, it's never made any sense is that a ship came in from America bound for, for, to, to dock in Ireland and, and then go on to, to, a, to a port in England. Half its cargo was to be unloaded in Ireland, and, and that's where the claim uh, in came the potato uh, fungus or whatever it was. Um, they started killing off the potatoes. However, they dumped the other half of the load in England, and, and nothing happened there from the same cargo. Why? Well, obviously, either somebody introduced something. These guys were scientists back then, too. They did have yeah. a lot of knowledge, and you find that from the 1500s. Um, but uh, they wanted to move the Irish out, there's no doubt. And Jonathan Swift, uh, who wrote Gull the Gulliver's Travels, and who was a high Freemason, uh, who also, and, and <laughs> a little side note here, Gulliver, uh, I mean, uh, Jonathan Swift, who was an elitist uh, and very arrogant, um, he, he did say that, that uh, let the Irish eat their own children. That's what he said in Parliament in England. Oh, my God. Uh, this was a loving... Thing. And he meant that literally, didn't he? Yeah, he, did, he hated them. Yeah. And um, he saw with the Irish Catholics, of course, and, and the, the, the Masons at that time, uh, at least that branch of them, were against the Catholics. Um, and, of course, uh, uh, Swift also... And Gulliver's Travels wrote a, a, a part where uh, Gulliver comes to the island where the horses are very sophisticated and intelligent and aristocratic, and, and the barbarians are the humans. 
Now the humans, he, call, he coined the term Yahoo. The, the humans who are barbaric were called Yahoos. Yahoos. And that's why you have Yahoo on the internet. It's for the Yahoos. It's a Masonic joke on the people. Not only that, but you know in Emmanuel Zelikovsky's uh, book, Wolf's uh, In Collision, yeah. I, I highlighted this because they said that the earth was like uh, creaking. Uh-huh. And they they termed the sound that it was making as Yahoo. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, my God. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we've got the Yahoo search engine. That's right. And, and also, that's what the cowboys were made to see in the movies is Yahoo, you know. Oh, man. Because they were the base people. And there was some, uh, some Masonic mockery, you see. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, getting back to the Irish... Um, people think that the Irish were living on nothing but potatoes. And they don't realize that the big, big farmers that, that uh, London had made settle in Ireland, uh, the Protestant-type farmers, um, were the, the new landlords, basically, uh, had lots of other grains, but the people were not allowed to eat it. Uh, and the Catholic Church really helped because they came in and told them to obey the laws and just starve to death and be good to the little citizens, you know. But while the people were starving over there, uh-huh. they still had the tithe. And if they had no money, they brought uh, food. Yeah, I know. But it was so... Those people were living in, in luxury, yeah. Alan. I know. And then, of course, one they also did the same in Scotland, you know. They, 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 um, and this is how they contrive things, because they run all sides of everything. Um... They, they already had the the, 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 the German bunch in as the, the king and queen of England, the, the Georges. And Prince Charlie, of course, the descendant of the Stuart lineage, was over living with the Jesuits in France and Italy in some, time, some cases. And they brought him back for the rebellion in 1745. And so sure enough, he came over to Scotland and he got a few, it's a handful of clans behind him, and uh, he said, we're going to take over London. And uh, sure enough, they fought their, all, their way right down to London, just a few clans. And, and we're only 30 miles from Derby. Uh, London was being evacuated by the elite. They thought they'd had it. And then Charlie changed his mind and went back. That's when you know. That right. He went that, back where? To Scotland. <laughs> So here he was within reach of, of claiming London. Oh, man. And he, he turns back. He took the men up to the loneliest bog in Scotland, the north of Scotland, and and he went to Culloden House, the big mansion that was a few miles away, spent the night there eating and fe- uh, uh, feasting. And uh, in the morning, uh, the, the Scots woke up with, with the British, the whole British army, with the Scots Lowland regiments too, all lined up with cannon and everything against them and an April morning with freezing rain in their faces and they stood there for four and a half hours solid waiting for the order to charge as they were getting shot down with grape shot oh my god and Charlie never told them to charge and the reason was Charlie had vamoosed he had what? he'd gone he got anywhere arrived on the battlefield he went straight over to die on the sky and then they had a ship waiting that took them back to France. But, but they used that excuse of a rebellion to clear the highlands of millions of people. And sure enough, uh, that's what they did. In came the Redcoats. They cleared the highlands. They, they got every dirty little old uh, tub that could float or, or just about float. And uh, uh, they, they, they pressed all these people on. Uh, set them off for America and many of them sunk within sight of the coastline and the relatives could watch them all going under oh my god and this, this is how they populated America yeah yeah this is the real history yeah. oh yes and then and then it, it just goes on and on and on too because uh, recently I watched a movie I think it was called Mate One and it was in Mate One Virginia I might be saying the name wrong but it was the coal miners, Alan, uh-huh. and it was a very well-made movie. Uh, and it, it basically, it, it what it showed was the control. They went in there, they took the people off the land. The 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 the, 
the railroad or the coal companies mm-hmm. and uh and confiscated their land yeah. and then and then pressed them into service into the coal mines and there were seven and eight year old children in there. Yeah. This was early 1900s, Alan. Yeah, I know some guys who, who told me this. They, they saw it happen. That's early. right. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I remember Tennessee Ernie Ford's song, 16 Tons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It never meant anything to me because we weren't taught this in history. But it was, you know, you load 16 tons and what do you get? Mm-hmm. Another day older and deeper in debt. That's right, because it was company town. Peter, don't you call me, because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. That's right. And when they hired these people, uh, they lived in in, in company housing and had to pay rent for it. And company stores. Even their tools. The company fronted them their tools and Mm -hmm. took it out of their pay. Yeah, I know. Everything. They went on strike, Mm -hmm. and they finally... In, in, in this movie and in this particular uh, situation, and I don't remember the exact date, but they prevailed. Yeah. About five years later, and this is in uh, the encyclopedia when it tells about it, five years later, same place, they struck again. They went on strike, mm-hmm. and the government, the federal government brought troops in, mm-hmm. shot them, Alan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Coal miners working for a private company, and the federal government brought troops in and shot them. That's right. Yeah. Now I, I, you know, I, I've lived for so long with this dream of America in my heart, mm-hmm. and this was one of the reasons I, I did want to talk about this tonight because it's time we give up the dream. It's never been a dream; it's a nightmare. That's right. Yeah. It is truly a nightmare. We're going to have to take a, uh, a break here. And in about uh, 30 seconds, mm-hmm. and then we'll pick this up on the other side of it. Folks, uh, for those of you listening on the Internet or if you're listening on C-Band Satellite, Sweet Liberty, and this would be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, because Darren Weeks is on Monday and Tuesday, is listener-sponsored. And if you do appreciate the broadcast and the information that is brought to you, then my... Uh, urging you is to help to support the broadcast and if you if you are moved to do so then I would alright we're back folks I guess I talked into that uh, break what I was saying is that if you want to send uh, sponsor donations please send them direct to WFAR and you can get a hold of them. I'm going to give you the phone number again. You can get a hold of Nicholas at 559-781-3773. And he can let you know how you can do that. I suppose that you can even do it through PayPal or whatever. I don't use that on the Internet. I want to remind you, too, that there's a website with Alan's information on it. It's linked from sweetliberty.org but the um, direct uh, address to his website is uh, cutting cutting through the matrix.com and Alan has three books if you haven't uh, I know I've heard from so many of you and when you call or when you write you almost never fail to mention how much you appreciate Alan Watt and the information that is Provided, and so the the books that he has written it get, it puts some meat into it, it goes beyond just a conversation. Let's put it that way. And when you go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com, you can actually read some excerpts of each of the books. There's three of them, and they're twenty five bucks a piece. And you can get his address right there at his website or from sweetliberty.org in the links. Alan? Yeah? Anything else you want to say about that, honey? Uh, no, that, that's, that's pretty well it. In, in those three books, I could just say that it's a process. I write in a different fashion because I try to involve the, the reader uh, in, a, in, a, in a formula that wakes them up as they read rather than just have a dull, boring 
dates and, and who said what and who did what, you know. Right. That doesn't work. It does not work. We've had this for so long, nothing, you know, it doesn't work. Uh, so I, I, I hit them with uh, symbols and so on that are used that are in front of their faces that they don't think about them. I explain them to them and, and start their minds working for themselves. Uh-huh. That's the process of it, you know. It's a technique. Uh-huh. That's what we have to do is start thinking for ourselves, isn't it? Oh, that's it. That's you know, it I'm sure helps. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of us who do communicate, and of mm-hmm. course you being on the air with us, because a lot of times things are pointed out. It's happened to me so many times, Alan, mm-hmm. that you've pointed out something that I didn't, I wouldn't have even thought about it if you hadn't said it, and then suddenly it's as clear as the nose on your face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it maybe it, it 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 it's beyond just thinking for ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's that the truth has been so much of the truth has been suppressed mm-hmm. that we've all lived in some little. Dreamland, thinking it was a dream, and come to find out, like I said, it's been a nightmare, Alan. Yeah, I always say that you you wake up from the dream into the nightmare. Yeah. When you realize the reality of of what it is all about. Well, you know, and there's just another thing that was on my mind when we were talking about this situation there in Mate One. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking also, uh, watching that movie, I was thinking about World War One, mm-hmm. and and the soldiers that fought in World War I were promised a bonus by the U.S. government. Uh-huh. And then, of course, the uh, the Depression hit. Yeah. They never got their bonuses. Mm-hmm. And they were starving. Yeah. Those that survived World War I. Mm-hmm. Yeah, them, you know, were limbless and crippled and et cetera. And they weren't getting their bonus, so they marched with their families. They took trains, they drove, and they walked. Mm-hmm. Washington, D.C., to plead with the government to give them their bonuses because they were starving. Yeah. And the military came out and shot at them. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, I read quite a, quite a bit about it. Uh, they were actually camping out in tents. Yeah. And uh, it was, uh, I think, Dwight Eisenhower mm-hmm. was maybe one of them yeah. that was involved in that, General MacArthur. Uh, one of those guys gave the orders for the troops to open fire on World War One veterans, Alan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, that's America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Yeah, well, you see, that all came from Britain because you, you, this is the difference, too. They, in recent years, really in the last century, they trained Americans to indoctrinate them, actually, into the tribal system. The, the tribal uh, emblems, the flag uh, that all the children uh, reciting with the hand over the heart, you know, a Masonic gesture. Pledging allegiance to a flag. Yes, and, and of course that trains you to jump up and hear the brass bands and off you go to war. Whereas, whereas in Britain, uh, the people feared the, the military because the military had always been used on the people at home. <laughs> that was the big difference. They had always been used on the people back home. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They had they had um, they had the, the, the Drapers riots in, in the 1700s and in the 1800s when the big um, when they started importing the cheaper stuff from India and putting all the in the cotton mills out of business. Uh, they had riots there and they turned the, the British military on the people and had had mass shootings in the streets. So so Britain was well well, well used to the what a uniform meant, you know. See, uniform means one form. When they put on a uniform, they are no longer an individual. They're a robot who is part of the whole. Well. Uh, kind of like legion. We are many, but we are one, you know. Yes, well, think about this. Yeah. They are actually uh, considered, they are considered owned by the government. They're private, you know. Yeah, well, think, I think about the dog tags. Now, mm-hmm. see, Alan, something just like that. Yeah. I, I mean, we've heard about dog tags forever. It never occurred to me mm-hmm. that, you know, a dog tag is tagging around a dog's neck. It's the dogs of war, you know, from Shakespeare. Okay, but mm-hmm. then it's it's a, a GI is government issue. That's right. Uh-huh. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Someone say a general idiot, too, you know. Say what? A general idiot? Well, yeah. 
Yeah. You're, pri you're privately owned. That's what it means. You're no longer uh, a member of the rest of the people. You're, you're a private. You start as a private. You're owned, body and soul. You do what you're told. You're owned. That's what it means. You don't have any rights at all that the, that the general population may have, even in common law. You're now privately owned by the corporation. Yeah. So you start as a private. So that's that's where that comes from. That Britain was so used to the dragoons and all the other big regiments being turned loose on the public uh, that uh, no, you did not worship the military as they were trained eventually. Uh, again, only in the 20th century to, to worship the, the military in America. And you know, you still see cars driving around here mm -hmm. with those little China-made American uh, U.S. flags on it, mm -hmm. and uh, people hang them out in front of their homes. Uh -huh. We had, you know, that used to, <laughs> I've got a huge, tall flagpole across the road, which I brought from Illinois. Yeah. I was the same way. That flag, old glory, I loved it, Alan, because it meant so many things to me that were such lies. Yeah. But um, the big laugh, the big joke on the American people after 911. Mm -hmm. And they were selling those little flags, millions of them. And they came from China. Yeah. China made. And in case any new listeners that might not have heard this or thought about it, but it isn't an American flag. Mm -hmm. it, it, think about it. It, it. When that flag was during, was it during the revolution? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, say does that star-spangled banner still wave? Mm -hmm. uh, the bombs bursting in air. It, it's a war flag. It's a military. It's a U.S. government incorporated flag. It's actually deeper than that because it's a Masonic Kabbalistic flag. And you see that the first revolution in, in England um, and, and the English flag became the Union Jack for Jacob, you know, Jack is also a Levi, a lever, you jack things up so yeah. you're a priest and of course you have the illumined man the X uh, over the Templar cross and, and so it's an eight pointed, you see eight's power and money, that's what it means in masonry and it's red, white and blue and, and it's, it's red for fire and, and revolution and blood and it's also white for spirit and, and, and of course the blue is the closest up from, from black, which is law, according to, to Kab the Kabbalistic system. The next one in red, white, and blue is America. And, of course, Canada was the same with the Union Jack. Uh, it's changed now. But, uh, the, and then the next one was France, which became red, white, and blue. So that's, the, that's their uh, revolutionary colors, really. Yeah. Well, somebody said that the U.S. flag was taken from the British East... Uh, India Company. East India Company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they had they had that. Um, it's, it's on a, a famous. Um, there's a famous building in Hong Kong, the Palisade, uh, and in there I don't know if it's still there, but they had uh, a, a, an actual original East India Company flag, and it was like the early American one where you had a circle. Uh, America had a circle of thirteen stars for the colonies. And 13, of course, is revolution and regeneration, right. you see, in masonry. That's why they waited till that 13. Well, I guess that's and, and the made their flag too, huh? Yeah, and then they had the, the, the stars and uh, the, the, the stripes and, uh, going across the way, so so that was the East India Company's flag, yeah. And, of course, it was just coincidence that there were 13 colonies at that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Time. And, and what gets me, too... You see, they'd already had international meetings in Europe as to who was going to bring in the next part of the system uh, for empire. And they couldn't use any of the existing countries because they, they were all known by the rest of the world that was not yet invaded as being tyrants and looters for a small clique in London and in Paris and, and so on. And so they dreamed up the idea of a new white and shining armor that was brand new and unconnected with the rest of them. And what happened in America was uh, about 55 uh, uh, of the largest wealthy uh, landowners in America 
who all had charters to own their land, by the way, from the British Crown. They had original charters from the Crown, those guys, Washington and so on. And they got together in that building, and 33 of them, of course, 33 set, signed their name to it. Uh, and um, they were all high Freemasons. And they barred the general public from coming in. And then they came out and said, we've given you a constitution, you know. Oh, yeah, you're talking about the Con-Con. Oh, yeah, what, what a joke. I mean, yeah. the, the, the general public had no input into it whatsoever. It was a Masonic meeting. Uh, Franklin talked about that quite openly. They, and he, they even see Washington with the chair behind him with the rising sun picture, but in the background. Yep, it's I mean, there. Yeah. It's still so, there at Independence Hall. Yep. And they even barred the doors and had guards on it. They nailed the windows shut, Alan. That's because all temple lodges, it's called the, the, the church with no windows. When they have a lodge meeting, they must have that done, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, it's such a farce, and that's why Washington's got the, his big erection up there with, over the water. And the first, the first new, uh, large... Um, uh, obelisk copied after the Egyptians uh, over water, fire over water, that's what it stands for. Uh-huh, they got the male over the female, yeah. Got the reflecting pool there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, Thomas Jefferson. Uh-huh. And I had read in a bio of him that he had ordered an obelisk, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for his grave. That's right. And, and most, most of them did actually. And when you go across the border, if you look between the border, get off the main roads and walk along the Canadian-U.S. border, they marked it every half mile or so with a, a Masonic obelisk about 12 feet tall. Oh, God. It, yeah, all along the... Because it was a, it was a Masonic arrangement made, uh, between, the, between the two groups, you know. It's, it's all Masonic. So that's the, that's the big joke. And then, of course, uh, Franklin in, in his own memoirs and... Uh, Jefferson both repeated the same thing uh, that they saw this as the beginning of a federation of the world and and uh, they would start with the federation of the states of America and that would be the beginning of a federation of the world led by 12 wise men yep. and that's in their own writings which surely they must have given you a school <laughs> Because that's in their own memoirs, you know. No, they didn't give us that stuff at school. Really? Oh, God, no, Alan. What did they give you, John Wayne? <laughs> they gave you dates and names and and places. Uh-huh. It was very dry. I mean, I, I, maybe that's why I kept falling asleep in history class. Uh-huh. Then after I got out of school, then I became thirsty, you know, mm-hmm. for for actually finding out what really did happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe if there was a true hero of this country, it would have been Andrew Jackson. Mm-hmm. Think about it. You know, George Washington, uh, what do you call, chartered the first uh, bank. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a 20-year charter. Yeah. And it was Andrew Jackson who refused to charter it. There's a whole book written about that. Well, I mean that the coming battle. Yeah. There's a lot of information in there about uh, my God, what they threatened. Mm-hmm. They didn't get the charter to the, that bank. Yeah. And then they tried to uh, they tried an assassination. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I love that story. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's true, but well, I, what I do know too is Jackson. Uh, and this is the thing too that's going to happen to us you see they, they have to push the American Indians into reservations and that's another M.O. of the same brotherhood down through the ages and Jackson did that? Uh, well Jackson helped along that and of course Jackson also uh, had treaties with the, the American Indians up in the Black Hills area uh, and of course uh, he wanted gold and so he started to encourage all the settlers to move in there like, to start the wars going with the Indians. Uh, and when they brought the trains through, uh, Jackson put ads in all the European newspapers for the big wealthy gentlemen, the sportsmen, he called them, to come over to the Americas. And they would have these train rides through the prairies there and tr- along the Black Hills. And uh, all the ammunition they could want, and they would feed them and so on, 
at the taxpayers' expense, and they killed thousands and thousands and thousands of buffalo. Oh, they almost made them extinct. And that was to get rid of the Indians' food supply. Oh, my God. That was intentional, yeah. Yeah, that's what it was And I take it back. Yeah. Maybe there is no, quote, true hero of this country. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, the ones who are heroes uh, are prob- were probably dead and never mentioned. Yeah, the ones that were killed. Yeah, they stand up with in protest, or or maybe they went for their rights when when they were put in that, that uh, blacked out room, making up the charter there. Maybe, maybe they came up with a protest and uh, had their throats uh, slit masonically. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the that's the history. Uh, we, we're living. Uh, through a system which uses everybody, all the ordinary people, and they make no distinction between the peasant of America, Canada, or China. If you're not one of them in, in the upper nobility, you're just a peasant. You're a world peasant. And other writers, including uh, the Russells and so on, Bertrand Russell, makes that quite plain. You know, They have no identification with the ordinary people. When you look at what Washington came out of, world, of, of the revolution with, I mean, he, he came up with, he, he'd added 20-odd mile of land to his property during the revolution. He was a busy guy, you know. Who was this? Uh, Washington. Oh, yeah, he was, yeah. Yeah. He was land rich. Yeah. He had I mean, he, he added about 20-odd square miles mm. to his property during the war. Mm-hmm. And, and and so uh, they were looking after themselves, and they put all their Masonic symbols up, and and, and people pass it all the time. It's in all the movies, the obelisk and, and the water, and there's Lincoln sitting just like a, a, a statue of, of a, one of the pharaohs in this uh, four-square position, they call it. In his chair? In his big yeah, chair, yeah. Well, there's uh, in Springfield, Illinois, mm-hmm. at the state capitol, yeah. the big bronze statue of him sitting in his chair mm-hmm. and uh, his nose is all shiny oh it's a shiny nose eh? no people come in there and they drop money into the little uh, fountain there oh yeah and make a wish and rub his nose oh really and his nose is real pretty you know it's you know how uh, I guess it's uh, is it brass or copper or bronze probably bronze yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know how it'll begin to Oxidize. Yeah. Uh-huh. So his nose is real pretty. Because mm. mm-hmm. that's what the people do. Mm-hmm. Well, that that's the thing. Uh, as I say, the Indians were first. The settlers made real estate out of jungles and wastelands and swamps. Now it's been taken from them, that to be put into their reservation, which are the human habitat areas of the U- the UN, and so everybody's used in turn for the agenda. Always. Yes. Always. Uh-huh. And now they refer to the U.S. as the Empire. Yes, and of course that started uh, when the Britain handed over the torch officially, and again, even but going back to the 1500s, John Dee uh, and uh, and his buddy Francis Bacon wrote about the New Atlantis arising in the West, yeah, which would continue uh, the, the, uh, carrying the torch, and sure enough, America took over the tax-paying part of it and the military part of it. Uh, to bring in the new world order. Once it sinks, China is to be the, the policeman of the world. And that's the way the elite have formulated this plan. And they've written about it, too. Yeah. For, uh, in case we have any new listeners, um, you know, I used to get angry mm-hmm. when people, in fact, when I was first given the book that um, Ralph Borzewski wrote, the Constitution that never was. Uh-huh. I wouldn't even read it, Alan. Yeah. I said this is just another book that bashes our Constitution. Yeah. And I've quoted it heavily in Chapter Twelve. I wanted to, for our listeners, if you haven't uh, read the uh, the book that's online there, on our main page at SweetLiberty.org, it's called Jewish Persecution. It began as an article, and it just got away uh, and took off on its own. But if you go to Chapter 12, it's where it did its own thing there, and then we pick it up again in Chapter 18. And if you have any doubts whatsoever about what we're talking about tonight, go read those two chapters. 
that just it just it's a real hard pill to swallow when when you've been born into that, Alan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know it's very hurtful because it was just, well, look how ticked off I got at you. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't acknowledge that the Constitution was. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't even want to talk to you for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, uh, Canada under Pierre Trudeau got for the first time it got a charter of rights, and it's right along the same world agenda, uh, where there's no mention of private property ownership in the whole charter. Wow. And of course, Pierre Trudeau, who became Prime Minister of Canada, um, who was also a Rhodes Scholar and a millionaire, because all the millionaires uh, run the communist side, you see, the elite run communism. Um, Which is uh, no different than international democracy. Well, the, the, the same boys run both sides. It's, well, it's all one and the same plan. It's the same families that run it, yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's, it's the same it, it's thing. It's a dialectic of, of pretending you have an enemy. Right. Uh, pushing the public between the two, squeezing them until we come out with with the synthesis, the third way. and, uh, and National course, socialism, I guess. Yeah, we've got a fascist elite running uh, a communistic uh, a bureaucracy who run the people. That's That's the synthesis. That's it, yeah. And of course, Pierre Trudeau led the Young Communist Party of Canada, the Comintern, to Moscow in 1952. Uh, he helped uh, with, with the setting up of uh, uh, the Charter for the United Nations with, with Escott Reed and, and Pearson and Alger Hiss. And then he became the Prime Minister of Canada, and not one newspaper mentioned that he was the leader of the Comintern for Canada, the Communist International. Wow. And that's because it's all one and the same thing. Capitalism and communism are two sides of the same coin. Sides of the same coin, yes. And guess who owns the coin? us to the third way. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the media is an essential arm of government. Without it, they couldn't give us this fake reality, you know. Yeah. Well, besides the media, don't forget the entertainment and music industry oh yeah yeah that's essential in fact they had a meeting in England in the 1970s early 70s with the Royal Institute of International Affairs and CFR to decide which company and country would give the culture to the world the next the coming world the new world and they decided that Hollywood would would be the culture creator there we go for the world yeah we just got our one minute warning here uh huh so, is there anything that you want to say in about 40 seconds? <laughs> yes, uh, it's not over yet till the fat lady sings. Thank you, Alan. Yep. <laughs> it ain't until uh, the fat lady sings. Yep. That is for sure. And this has been going on down through the ages. Yep. And they're still at it, and we're still here. We are. So, there you go. Thank you for that. What a wonderful, what a wonderful final statement for this broadcast. Folks, we'll see you back Wednesday night next, and be sure to tune in Monday and Tuesday for Darren Week on Sweet Liberty. And thank you for being here, folks. Good night, Alan. Thanks. Good night. Good night.